0: Trade finance it has suddenly risen a lot in terms of visibility just because of the need for cash at this point in time.
1: I'm John Manis, an investor at Base Asset Ventures, an early stage venture capital fund investing in founders, transforming the way people work across all parts of the economy, from factories to offices. This is episode three of Future Proof. Today we're talking with Mark Dragon, the Managing Director of Reef Knot Investments, a venture firm backed by Singapore's sovereign wealth fund Tomasek, and the global logistics company Kuhn Nagel. When the dust settles from COVID-19, many of the world's largest companies are going to need to rebuild their supply chains. Enterprises are facing a perfect storm of recession-related supplier turnover, and vulnerabilities originating from supply chains overexposed to single countries and regions. We're here to understand the ways technology can help enterprises build more robust supply chains as quickly and inexpensively as possible. Mark, why don't we start off by talking a little bit about ReefNot. Just give our, our listeners a little bit of background on the investment firm, where it originated and what types of companies it's backing.
0: Thanks, John. Uh, and thanks for the invitation for this call. We are a global supply chain uh, and logistics technology venture capital fund based out of Singapore. Our two main backers are Temasek as well as Kunanago. Now we look at series A, series B type startups on a global basis. And we are specifically looking at three areas. The first part is really on AI and deep tech, supply chain network design, and more complicated problems like pricing, optimization, on a more dynamic and real-time basis, right? So that's one bucket. Uh, the second bucket is really on uh, logistics digitization, which is the general digitization of the industry. And the third area is in trade finance. Uh, now, this is an interesting area, but what we believe is that greater visibility and greater information flow coming out from the supply chain and logistics industry that can feed very well into the trade finance functions and new models and new technologies will emerge that can help to address this space. We also have a bunch of ecosystem partners with companies like you know, Unilever, uh, Starbucks, Mitsubishi, some of the ports, especially the Singapore maritime ecosystem from port authorities to the ports and the liners themselves as well.
1: Well, so Mark, we, we've spent a lot of time at Basis Set looking into the maritime shipping industry. As a firm, our thesis has been primarily tied to workflow automation tools. We've looked a lot at marketplaces, and then I would say automated services, of which trade finances is one of those things. I know that you've done a lot of the same work on your side in building up the fund, and you just gave us a great overview of your priorities. Mm -hmm. At a high level, how are those priorities changing as a result of COVID, if at all?
0: Bearing in mind that COVID happened in Asia way earlier than in Europe and the US, to understand the COVID impact to the industry and to us, We actually did a mini macroeconomic survey of business leaders, supply chain leaders uh, across Asia Pacific and globally. There were some interesting results that came out of it. The whole AI thesis is still very solid. There might be some uh, enhancements in terms of what industry might deem important. In the logistics digitalization space, their business continues to double and triple there is greater demand of certain types of solutions, which I'll I'll talk about later. And trade finance has suddenly risen a lot in terms of visibility just because of the need for cash at this point in time. So I think that's great for the industry. And I think that will be a great booster moving ahead.
1: One of the things that hits me first when I look at this survey, and I think it's a great survey, by the way, is that a lot of the areas that are lower on the prioritization list are things that we've seen a lot of over the last five years. When I think about the hot companies in in supply chain logistics and and maritime trade, I think about things like inventory optimization. I think about things like demand management and fleet management. But it seems like a lot of the things that are higher priorities post-COVID, at least as of March, have a lot more to do with flexibility of supply chains, particularly on the supplier sourcing side, and also cash. And I don't think either of those surprise me in, in any particular way. What have you seen thus far from startups in those spaces? Have you seen compelling companies trying to solve these cash flow problems? Have you seen compelling companies working on vetting suppliers or adding additional flexibility to supply chains?
0: Absolutely. With the, you know, and macroeconomic implies not only COVID-19, but also the, the trade war thing, right yeah. From the survey results, it wasn't surprising to see sourcing strategies you know, being, uh, being one of the top few on the list. Instead of a more centralized kind of a sub- supply chain uh, to a more decentralized supply chain, uh, more localized supply chains. Now, that is actually top of mind for a lot of execs at this point in time. It will take some time to actually do that structural shift. And the reason being because these are very heavy, very capital intensive kind of exercises. For example, uh, in the electronic supply chain, you raw know, earth materials, you just can't get around it that much. A certain country or certain companies have predominant share of that particular material. You'll be hard-pressed to actually get an alternative in the short to term. But that being said, having visibility around just a tier one and maybe extending it to tier two suppliers seem to be something that is good enough and feasible for most companies at this point in time. Anything beyond Tier 2 goes into a bucket of having mitigation strategies around it, but not necessarily having that kind of a dynamic a response to, to changes. So the focus still very much is on Tier 1, Tier 2, even though the deep-tier parts of the supply chain becomes important to at least monitor. You also mentioned about flexibility versus others, right? How do you actually obtain flexibility? from understanding the true demand, understanding where capacity is and the available capacity, and not only in terms of manufacturing capacity, but logistics, uh, lane by lane capacity as well. And of course, you know, that whole service level kind of a thing, right? You know, this goes back to supply chain 101, right? <laughs> Which is, you know, uh, do you have visibility on your staff? Do you have arrangements in place? But some core capabilities need to be built. Those are data capabilities, as well as process capabilities on visibility as well. There's a huge importance on cash management at this point in time. Cash flow management of the companies themselves are are really top of mind, especially now. And collections are a big part of it, right? Even forecasting collections starts becoming something that is on top of some executives' minds, right? Previously, we didn't really think too much about it. The other part, that I would like to emphasize as well is the health of the supplier cash flows. Even though this didn't come up a lot, just because you know, most companies that did this survey you know, were just thinking of them themselves, but if you just extrapolate it across the supply chain, everybody's thinking of their cash flows, right? And if you go back to the supplier risk management piece, supplier cash flows is a very big component of supplier viability within you know, your, your chain. Some of this is in, in important, but it just hasn't sort of emerged through this survey.
1: I can only imagine if I'm an automaker and I have thousands of suppliers that I'm working with, and you mentioned tier one and tier two as priorities, but obviously we know that it goes much deeper than that. If I'm a startup founder in this space and I'm interested in building something to help address some of these issues around supply chain vulnerabilities that these large corporations are facing, how do I even begin to tackle that problem, just given how large the scope is and, and borderline insurmountable it sounds? I think one of the first things that we did after this survey was done
0: was to look at the, the supply chain risk management space. And if you look at that space, that has been around for some time. It wasn't dynamic or you know, didn't have full data visibility, didn't have AI on big data, any of those stuff, right? But the space was there. And they did it more or less manually or in silos, right? For startups addressing the space, you know, the question mark is that, will this continue
1: post-2020, right? So that's not too clear right now. How much of it's structural versus how much of it's cyclical? How do you think about discerning those shorter-term trends from the longer-term ones? I I have to believe that there are at least some longer-term trends that are going to stick around post-U.S.-China trade war and post-COVID.
0: It is not so easy to discern. I think at the end of the day, I go back to the whole backstop for me, which is propensity to spend, right? Would corporates have propensity to spend on some certain types of solutions? So if you look at this survey, right, corporates had a propensity to spend on inventory optimization previously, just because it's a working cap kind of a thing, it directly impacts their working cap. So therefore they, you know, they could spend in those kinds of solutions. Would corporates originally spend a lot on visibility? How corporates think of visibility right now is probably very different from how they thought of it before. And what do they do with that visibility? More importantly, what do they do with that visibility becomes top of mind as well. So some of these, you know, lend itself a little bit more to longer term structural shift. Of course, all of this has has been proven. I think from a technology perspective, it becomes very key because technology, things like data integration, things like application integration, things like AI to figure out stuff becomes almost like foundational capabilities that organization needs to build in order for those higher order visibility or planning or flexibility capabilities to actually
1: flourish. We've seen a lot of companies, I would say in the last six months, trying to to imitate or, or improve on the old Dun & Bradstreet model of validating suppliers and trying to get KYB, KYC yeah. uh, into the hands of folks in the supply chain. What does it take for these kinds of solutions to actually Succeed and market and make a large difference in the way that suppliers are vetted overseas. We've spent a lot of time talking with folks in the Bay Area that have been trying to import PPE internationally, for example, during this crisis, and it's been really, really challenging to vet suppliers unless you have people on the ground, and that's always been historically the bottleneck, particularly for for SMBs and mid-market folks. So I'm just I'm curious to you what that threshold is where some of these things move from fantastic napkin ideas to actual viable yeah. businesses.
0: So I would approach it from two perspectives here, right? The first is the technology layer. And the second is really, you know, where the data comes from and the, and the business model. So on the technology layer, besides the standard AI stuff, right? There's one technology that I like that I've been looking at, which is a knowledge graph and gra- graphical analytics type areas, right? So I think technology wise, you know, there are some uh, proven technologies that can look at relationships between players, across entities, across categories, it can be, you know, a buyer supply relationship, it can be a political relationship, individual relationships, and you can just put it all together. The technology piece is that whole uh, knowledge graph, graphical analytics thing, then only after that becomes the whole, you know, where does data data come from, you know, and what's the business model you know, that sort of applies to this. Again, you know, the whole China stuff, uh, it's not only China that doesn't have visibility. I mean, if you have the right sources in China, you can get the right information. Uh, But it's the other emerging markets that don't even have that kind of data structures, right, in place to collect uh, information on companies. I think those are the ones that are are real question marks. And that's where AI sort of can potentially play a big part in, in terms of having proxy relationships, right? Even from a how do you know manufacturing capacity of a certain supplier is what they say it is, right? I've heard of uh, proxies uh, being used uh, from an electricity perspective. So if you know the electrical generation through that particular plant that address, right, and you sort of proxy it to other known uh, manufacturing capacity folks, then you know, yeah, more or less, they're kind of there. So so there are some proxies that you can use as well. But, you know, again, it's uh, it's how, how the whole business model sort of pulls This technology component and the data component together, I think that's key. But not a lot of startups have actually successfully navigated this.
1: Well, so I think you make a lot of good points. And I would say from our perspective, a lot of it comes down to data as well. And I think that alluding to something you said earlier about changing emphasis or changing expectations, the human element of how we think about supply chain visibility, you're right in saying that a lot of the data thus far has been third-party data. It's trying to figure out proxies to validate suppliers it's building these large databases and knowledge graphs by scraping information and, and buying up third-party data and trying to come to some sort of conclusion from all of that. The big question mark of what's been missing is data that actually comes from these vendors. and actually comes from these suppliers. Um, and also quite frankly, the, the buyers um, being able to open source or share their information in some kind of viable way. Do yeah. you think that those norms around sharing data even something like production data for example in order to underwrite financing do you think that that starts to shift and where might we start to see that first
0: absolutely i don't think it is starting to shift i think it's, the importance is starting to come up
1: there have been some discussions
0: around sharing of data but while at the same time anonymizing that data so for example you know you have a buyer and you've got a third tier supplier right third tier supplier would it would be great to have a sense of what's the demand patterns coming in from the, from the buyer. But on the other hand, the third tier supplier might not want to give visibility to the buyer around what's the price at which they're selling that particular component, and how much they're building uh, that component to the second tier supplier, for example. Having that data in there and yet anonymizing it, such that it becomes usable for all parties in a chain is something that we are looking for. We are looking for startups that do stuff like that as well. That kind of a model will be important going into the future.
1: I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the other piece of this, which is the cash flow management part and invoice financing. Um, I would say this is another area actually that I've started seeing heating up probably the last year or even predating the US-China trade war conversation with a lot of companies going after factoring. One could Posit that that's a product of uh, of the state of the economy over the last few years and interest rates and the sort. But I'm curious to you to hear from you how you see those those tools and services evolving as well beyond uh, existing work that's been done by folks like Stripe in the last year. Or and Square and, and other larger players in the ecosystem.
0: The ones that we like are those that are kind of unique in the space. So, for example, are startups able to help to ascertain if a particular invoice or PO can be paid immediately without going through a whole KYC process and without having all those, you know, couple of months of onboarding process, right? If just looking at data and using some types of AI, can I actually give to a very high level of certainty whether invoice or POs can be paid immediately? It actually changes the way that potentially the industry functions. AI in the trade finance space is something that we're very, very interested in. So not only in terms of that predictive aspects of can I pay now or not, the other part is really that whole relationship graph. How is one related to the other and what's the implication of a cash flow of one to the financial inputs of another.
1: Do you think there are lessons to pull out of the last recession in 2008, 2009 that would be good guidance to heed here when thinking about the cash flow needs of enterprises and the role that technology can play in, in satiating some of that demand?
0: There's been a lot of talk around 08, 09. We are in a different situation this time around. And it's a phased global thing, right? So China got into it first, so demand cut off, supply, everything was cut off. Now China is starting to come out of it. you know capacity, uh, what just read recently, ocean freight capacity uh, volumes have gone up almost to the norm in March, right? For China demand is also picking up. So China is starting to recover. The rest of the world, you know, are in this in a different time phase kind of a thing. How deep the individual economies goes into it and how it impacts those individual economies demand, and therefore, capacity, it will differ, unfortunately right now. I'm not sure whether there are models being built right now. It's not easy to do it around this whole time phase, switch on, switch off, demand and capacity kind of a thing. Recovery will take a bit longer, maybe into the end of this year.
1: If we can't have quantitative, we might as well go for, for anecdotal and, and qualitative. What are you hearing from CEOs and executives that you're talking to about cash flow needs and, and, and what they can't get that they need?
0: Collections become very key. Forecasting collections becomes an input into cash flow management within the organization So I think for a lot of the CEOs and the executives out there, it's just a case of reacting to the whole situation in 2020. Whatever government grants and, and funds that are being made available, folks are just looking at understanding how that can... Be applied. There are some um, industry sectors that uh, have a greater dependency on these government grants because of the huge capacity uh, that's been locked out or have been grounded, right? Interesting models have started to come out. The return of the the air freight only vessels, some of those are starting to return, I think. Question mark is that, is it going to be temporary or is it going to be structurally and therefore it becomes permanent?
1: I want to wrap up with uh, actually just a couple of rapid fire questions around your, your personal take on whether some things are going to last for a shorter term or longer term. So, uh, one thing we touched on earlier was this emphasis on deglobalization and what it means to start insourcing more of supply chains. Do you think that's a, a short term impact, long term impact?
0: So it's a mid to long term impact.
1: What about fuel prices? Obviously, in the, in the maritime space, we've seen dramatic decrease in fuel prices. A lot of technology that was focused on helping companies deal with high fuel prices had their value propositions carved out. Is that here to stay or is that a short-term change?
0: In the short to medium term, I think that whole uh, pricing piece, uh, fuel price and uh, you know, fuel optimization and that whole space sort of becomes deprioritized. Uh, But interesting is that uh, some global MNCs are thinking of tying their supply chain strategies moving out of the crisis to decarbonization as well.
1: I'll throw in one more bonus one. When we look at a graph five years from now of the most commonly shipped goods overseas by different countries around the world, do you think that we're measurably going to be able to see the impact of COVID and the trade war in terms of what goods are most commonly shipped?
0: I absolutely think so. I think you just need to look at which are the chains that, uh, I mean, not so much strategic in nature, but which are the ones that are easier to move out north. Those are the ones that will have higher propensity for that. Chains are not so easy to be rebuilt, right? Like, for example, automotive, Uh, or even some parts of consumer electronics. That whole second and third tier supplier infrastructure and knowledge and employment and capabilities is not so easy to replicate. Three to five years, we would see some structural shifts happening in some industries, not all. Further out, maybe 10 years, we might see further changes in other industries that would be more difficult to switch out of.
1: Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This was a a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks for the good questions. For years, technologists and logistics wonks have been throwing out phrases like supply chain visibility. But only now, in a time of volatile oil markets, a persistent trade war between superpowers, and a global pandemic, are enterprises realizing the full implications of their vulnerable supply chains. With many supply chains frozen around the world, enterprises are quickly realizing that visibility is a predicate for risk management. Companies not only need to understand the risks to their direct suppliers, but also risks faced by their supplier's supplier. Insurance and financial services can and will come to the aid of ailing corporates, but they too will require data from every step of the production chain in order to underwrite risk. Startups have a huge lift ahead. they will need to identify and aggregate new sources of supplier data and ultimately combine it with sophisticated forecasting models that will inform next generation supply chains born in the aftermath of COVID-19. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Proof. We'll be posting episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. So watch out for our next episode. Check out Basisset's full research on maritime trade at basisset.ventures research. And if you want to chat about any of the themes from this episode, drop me a note at john at basisset.ventures.